Welcome to Two Old Bulls. My name is Tom and I'm joined by my partner, Paul. Together we have 75 years of combined sales and management experience. On Two Old Bulls, Paul and I will interview a variety of guests from all types of backgrounds. Our goal is to entertain, inform, and help you grow in whatever you do. So welcome to Two Old Bulls. Now let's get started. Hey, Paul, how are you doing today? Doing all right, Tommy. Got back from a nice long trip in Michigan, seeing family during the holidays. Doing real well. 51 degrees here in wonderful Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, it's colder in Tulsa. I know you just fell over a fence and almost broke your face. And <laughs> I got back from my vacation and been sick. And we had a guest. Uh, we've been doing, uh, you talk about being adaptable in life and, and pivoting. Uh, we're living it. Uh, 2024 hasn't been horrible, but it's been a challenge. I mean, with uh, some of the things going on and just so everybody uh, doesn't like check the screen and tap on the, you know, computer screen or what have you. Uh, we had a gentleman scheduled and now he's sick. And I threw out a Hail Mary at about four o'clock this morning. Uh, my wife's actually in Dallas at market. So I'm flipping on lights, stumbling over stuff. And I realized, you know, I'm going to throw a Hail Mary. It's football season. And I'm going to reach back out to another gentleman that had to reschedule because he, he, by the way, was ill. So uh, today, Paul, we're going to bring in Anthony Anarino. And uh, I've talked to you about Anthony. And I have done a lot of uh, research on this gentleman. And he is the real deal. Uh, I'm impressed beyond. So a little bit about Anthony, uh, author, writer, speaker, sales leader, trainer, entrepreneur. He's an author of six books, uh, recently the negativity fast. Also the only sales guide you will ever need the lost art of closing the 10 commandments that drive sales, eat their lunch. Love the picture on that book, by the way, brown bag. Uh, elite sales strategies, leading growth, which is for sales leaders. I need to grab that one. Uh, he has a daily blog. I think it's continuous and he can talk about that. Uh, 60,000 folks a week read that impressive Sunday newsletter, so on and so forth. I could probably keep going with his bio and maybe he can correct me on a few things, but welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Again, I mentioned pre-show that uh, I'm very grateful, and I, I, I'm, I'm sincere in this, that uh, you were able to pivot and, and take some time out today. And I, I truly, truly appreciate uh, you doing this for us, and, and we're so excited to have you. Uh, what we always do with our guests, and I think we're going to do the same with, with you, and that is go back to who you were back in the day. You can start in your business career or personal uh, journey. I, I know I listened to a few things regarding some of the things early uh, in your life. You had some issues uh, that adversity, let's say, health wise, that that made a real impact on yourself. So you can kind of dive in wherever you would like. We'd like to learn a little bit about you personally, then we can get into the books. Uh, I was raised by a single mom, raising four kids by herself, and we lived in a 
a small apartment with one uh, bathroom. And uh, that that went on for quite a while. It, uh, somebody came up to me at one time and they said, if uh, you will knock on doors and ask people to buy a newspaper, uh, you'll get money. And I said, uh, okay, how do I do that? And uh, somebody showed me how to do it. And by the end of uh, my summer, I had 300 Sunday newspapers uh, that I had to deliver on Sunday morning. I couldn't get them done by Sunday morning. There's too many, uh, three apartment complexes. So uh, when you don't have anything, um, knocking on doors doesn't bother you at all. So I, I knocked on every single door and I asked everybody to buy a newspaper or the, the whole week. Um, that was, I was 12. Uh, when I was 15, I started making cold calls for a non-for-profit and I was the only person to get two deals and nobody else got any deals. And uh, they really wanted me to stay, but I was uh, already ready to leave. I'd done that for uh, a summer and then I moved on. And then I joined my uh, family's business because I played rock and roll at night. That's what I did from about 15 to 26, played music. And uh, I thought I could work in the family business and that would allow me to play music at night. And and then I eventually went to Los Angeles and uh, Los Angeles, I had a manager that forced me into outside sales when he realized that I had uh, acquired more clients than the three salespeople that worked there. Uh, all of them were um, removed and I won the largest deal in a $4 billion company uh, on this, the Western half of the United States. Somebody had a bigger deal on the New York side, but I had a $50 million deal I did with my uh, my manager. And I'd love to tell you about how much money I made on that deal. Um, but uh, about two or three days later, I had a grand mal seizure. And uh, I was walking up to my Brentwood apartment and I was taken to uh, UCLA. Uh, they said I had cancer on the right lobe of my brain. And I uh, argued that I didn't have cancer on the right lobe of my brain. How I knew that, I didn't know. But I just thought there had to be something else. It can't be that. I'm 25 at the time. Uh, they did a test. I had something called an arterial venous malformation, which is a group of arteries and veins that grows into a knot. And mine was pushing on the brain, and that's why I had the uh, the grandma seizure. Uh, I came back to Columbus, Ohio. I had uh, two surgeries, one to glue all the arteries and veins shut, and then I had one to remove the um, arterial venous malformation and the bruised part of my brain uh, on the back of the right temporal lobe. So uh, that was a an interesting time. Uh, I always wanted to drop out of high school. And after I lost a piece of my brain, uh, I went to college at Capital University. I graduated summa cum laude. I won the Dean's Academic Scholarship to law school and I built my family's business and I then eventually spent uh, a couple uh, months uh, out of the year at Harvard Business School in a program called OPM. So that was, uh, that's a, I guess that's the the best 
way to just describe that whole period. That's very impressive. And it's interesting. You don't know me from Adam, but uh, some similarities. Uh, and we can get into that some other time. But I grew it, up charismatic, um, very handsome. I mean, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of things that we could go through here, right? Absolutely. Paul has all the hair and uh, yeah, and all the talent on this on this uh, podcast. But no, I, I've listened to some of your stuff previously and uh, I can't go there with the health scare. That is, uh, and what year was that when that was coming down, Anthony? That was uh, 1992. I was 25. And um, my mom told me recently that uh, the two bills that came after that, even though I had a, a great insurance and disability, uh, it was uh, 80,000 for one and 90,000 for the other. So I would think that today that's probably a couple million dollars. Wow. Yeah. And you think about all the advancements in the <laughs> medical side, but no, that's, that is a, uh, that's a heck of a, a story at, at, at that age. And just out of curiosity, the, the, the music side, Paul and I are huge, uh, rock and roll and music uh fans so what kind of uh covers did you do in your band well one i'm i'm a disciplinarian as a as a, a leader so it's my band i'm the the lead singer so uh, i took four guys i'm one of them the other three and uh, we spent a summer that if i knew the song and you don't know the song, then you have to learn the song. And if you know a song and I don't know the song, I have to learn the song. And by the end of the summer, we had 500 covers that we could play. Uh, everything from The Knack, um, like My Sharona, all the way to uh, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, uh, and everything in between. But I was a dead ringer for Bon Scott at that time. So a lot of people wanted me to do the whole Highway to Hell album, which we could do, or Back in Black, I could do the whole album, uh, the Brian Johnson stuff. And uh, we could play ba basically anything. And and people would actually come to our re rehearsals just to ask us to play their songs that they liked very much. So, Do you uh, dabble in music at all now? No, I wish I could. Do you know those? Do you st stay in touch with the four other the three gentlemen at all? <laughs> Yeah, we see each other from time to time. Yeah, it's funny because I'm a lead singer too. I had a little band, so here we go. I mean, uh, brother from another mother. I, I can relate. But uh, the ACDC. I mean, you talk about, and I don't want to go into music, but but uh, Paul and I love Seeger too. Did you do any Seeger? We we of course we did Seeger. Oh, yeah. Oh, love Seeger, but so. That is, uh, like I said, a, a very, I guess, dramatic and challenging time for you. And uh, so you pivot out of that and you mentioned the the family business. Is that something that was already ongoing or did you start that from scratch? Tell us a little my, bit about that. My mom and her business partner started the business when I was uh, 12 or 13. And uh, they they just put two desks together and they went to the bank and asked for uh, a loan and they said if uh, one of your husbands could come and sign you can have the money but neither one of them had a husband so they just bootstrapped it and um, it's a 50 million dollar company right now wow 
What percentage of your time today do you spend on those businesses? Like if you look at your typical 40, 50, 60 hour week, what percentage would you put towards that? I, I tend to just do whatever needs to be done uh, every single day for all of the businesses and uh, my businesses and that business. And they're, they're now in their seventies. So uh, we're yeah. getting to uh what what we would probably call a, a wealth realization event. Yeah. Well, that's impressive because I follow you on LinkedIn and other platforms and you're, you're, I, I'm wondering if you sleep. So you, you're up at 4 a.m. You mm-hmm. have this, this, this ongoing blog, uh, consecutive days. What time do you go to bed? Um, earlier than you would think. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. I go to bed early. <laughs> Uh, if I'm, if I'm up at eight 30, uh, that's late for me. So All right. I, I go to bed really early and I get up really early. So you yeah. get up and you, you have a routine. Like, I mean, you and I are similar age and Paul, <laughs> Paul's the old man on here, by the way. So if you feel old, just have Paul start talking. Uh, <laughs> he's the old man, but he's, he's very uh, young at heart, but you get up early, have coffee, what have you. And then you start into this blog right tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that yeah and I'm, I'm the cat has to be fed before i can get my coffee uh or also just keep bothering me until i feed him so uh feed the cat get the coffee sit down in front of the computer and start typing and that's it do you just Every- wing do you wing it as an artist or do you already have some thoughts from the previous day it depends uh sometimes uh I do have something that I already know I'm going to write. And uh, other times, you know, I've got a little backlog of things that make me unhappy. And if I'm unhappy about something, I can certainly write about it. So you gotta, are you going to write about this thing? They won't do the audio platforms pretty soon or. Let's say that again. The book company where they're not doing the audio. Are you going to blog about that? No, I don't know that anybody cares about that, except for the people that want this in Audible. I am going to have to follow up with them, though. It's true. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so getting into this book, I I can tell you I went to uh, Hawaii and I was going to, uh, speaking of audio, I was going to download it, listen, listen to the thing on the pl- airplane, and obviously uh, didn't have time to get the, the, the hardcover. So I did some research and actually uh, listened to a couple of other podcasts and at least one other podcast where they talked about the book. It's fascinating. I want to drill down into the book before we do that, Paul, anything real quick? Cause I'm, I'm doing all the talking here. Uh, it's really interesting to me because uh, I don't know about you, Tommy, but the newspaper thing was I- interesting as back when I was uh, younger, right? That was a big thing for people. Now for yeah. me, for me, the cold call came, I went to Catholic school for sixth grade. So every what other week you're selling peanut brittle calendar. <laughs> so you, and, and I lived in Royal Oak, Michigan, where there were, you know, just, you know, hundreds of three bedroom brick houses. And you just had to learn to go up to the door and try and get an order. So but the newspaper thing is obviously a, a great learning ground for cold calls. I was in uh, Catholic schools until ninth grade. And then at, at ninth grade, I had some problems in uh in Catholic school bullies and some other things. And uh, the wrestling, uh, the guy that was uh, um, harassing me was a a wrestler. And uh, his uh, wrestling coach 
uh, grabbed me by my hair because it was just past my collar. And he said, if you uh, don't have that cut above your collar, I'm going to take the shears and just take all your hair off. So I was 13, completely defiant, uh, completely defiant and unafraid of anything or anyone. Uh, that that was what happened to me when I was 13. And uh, I went to the uh, local salon and I had my hair done like Billy Idol and I pierced my ear. And uh, everybody in administration walked to look into the window to see what happened to this guy's head. <laughs> and uh, there was no rules about having, you know, gel in your hair and having your hair sticking up all over the place. And there was no, uh, nothing about uh, earrings at that time. So I had a difficult time there. And at the end, uh, my vice principal, uh, Triano said, uh, we're gonna invite you not to come back next year. And I said that that works perfect for me. That's okay. Yeah. Well, Alfie, if you would have known Paul back in the day, he'd have pulled the jersey over the guy's head like a hockey player and uh, settled it in the hallway somewhere, right, Paul? Every now and then you've got to do that. Yeah, so, Anthony, I, I'm out. I'm out to dinner with Paul back in the day, and this guy's wearing an opposing jersey. He's a big uh, uh, Red Wing, right? Detroit. Up oh, Red Wing. Yep. Yeah. And uh, this guy had some jersey on. I can't remember Colorado or whatever. They just transferred. He, Paul knows the story. But anyway, the, the point is, Paul Paul got his dander there, and uh, I've seen him in a rare moment before. So he probably just needed to hook up with Paul early on, and he'd have been fine, Anthony. So I, I hung around the toughest people you'll ever know. I mean, the, that was my my group after that. So same thing with myself because I wasn't the tough guy. I was the the lover. But I had a couple of tough guys that I worked with. But, uh, hey, so the book, uh, we talked about it. Uh, and and I want to get into your latest book. Yeah, we have uh, a lot of questions. So go to the genesis of the the, the recent book. Tell us uh, about it and and go down that journey because uh, I'm excited to get into some of the questions for, for, the, for the book itself, the recent one. Um, when I was in... Uh college i was a political um major political science major that was my major and i um had a, another major in uh, english literature and uh when you're in politics all all you do is argue about politics and uh, i argued a lot about politics and then i ended up in law school where everything is political i mean everything single thing that you talk about is it's going to have somebody arguing the other side. And uh, at one point I had a great mentor named uh, Mike Distelhorse and Mike said, you know, you're really, you're angry and you shouldn't be carrying this kind of angry uh, around with you. And um, you should just let all of these things go, all the geopolitics, all the politics, and just take care of your family. The government is not going to have nearly the same impact on the three children that you have uh, than you are. So don't worry about any of that stuff and let it go. I wish I would have taken his advice when he gave it to me, but I wasn't ready for it. Um, so probably about six months later, I realized I really was angry. I'm arguing with people all the time. And a lot of people want to argue with me. I was probably the only libertarian in uh, law school. So 
I'm, I can fight with both sides all the time. And, uh, I decided I was going to remove every negative thing in my life, um, starting with politics and then moving on to, uh, people that I don't think are positive. And I started to, uh, just remove everything. And I, I told myself I'd do it for 30 days. Then I did another 30 days. Then I did another 30 days on that third 30 days. Uh, I decided I was going to listen to only positive people, um, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Stephen Covey, uh, Anthony Robbins, any anybody who had a good, positive, future-oriented uh, um, mindset, that's, that's all I consumed. And I felt a lot better. And then I thought, well, why not just keep going? And uh, I've been going that way for a very long time now. The, the question that people always ask me when I tell them that I don't watch any news on television at all, they're like, well, how could you do that? You don't know what's going on. Yes, I do. All the negative people tell me what's going on. They want to make sure that you know that negative things are happening. So you don't have to worry about not hearing or seeing something because you you will and people will want to share it with you because that's what we do. Yeah, it's fascinating. Paul and I have actually talked about this recently. Uh, and when I when I listen closely to what you're saying, I, I think about the seven habits and Covey and and begin with the end in mind, uh, go to your own funeral. And I think about being a broken vessel as a human being. And you know, I think we're all uh, the human element. If you don't feed with positive, then things will feed uh, on their own. And I've seen this in my personal life. And my thing with my kids, and, and you can talk about this, is you, you have to be intentional. You have yeah. to be intentional. If you if you go through the motions and sleepwalk, you're going to be at a casino hitting a button, smoking cigarettes, drinking cocktails, and wonder why you're so dang depressed. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think the if you ingest negativity and and if you eat the the fear that the news gives you, you're going to be negative. I mean, you're you're not going to feel good because you've got all this anxiety and all this stress from looking at what's going on in the world. Now, the world has been uh, here for maybe 16 uh, billion years and it's been turning the whole time. And it isn't going to stop doing what it does. So um, I think that the best thing that you can do is remove that. That That's a very potent source of negativity for people. And uh, I think if you get rid of that, that's a really good start. So, Paul, I know this is near and dear to your heart. Talk about the news. And uh, we just talked about it yesterday. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I have to come clean. I'm, I'm, I think Tommy will tell you that. You know, when I'm in front of a customer or with other people, I have a pretty positive attitude. But let's and and Tommy and I are both, uh, you know, road warriors. We we travel a lot for our business. And and then COVID hit, right? So now COVID hits. You're sitting home. You're working from a laptop. And I got in a really bad habit. Of yeah. In the morning, drinking a cup of coffee, turning on the news, and then heading, you know, to my emails and stuff. And and I I'll be honest with you, I've noticed. Uh, for me, that I've got to change that pattern. I've got to uh, walk away from that. Um, I, I've got to get a little bit more in the mornings instead of turning on the news, drinking coffee, go for a walk. And yeah. 
exercise in. And, and again, attach, I think you made a great point, attach yourself to positive people. And yeah. I'm lucky enough that I have a, a, an array of friends that, that help me with that. If you want to, if you want to read the news, uh, something like the economist is probably one of the better things you can get all of the geopolitics and all of the politics without the divisiveness and without the uh, anger and uh, the all of the things that are causing people not to get along with each other just because they have a different uh, view of their politics. Uh, I don't think it's worth that. I have wonderful friends that are very, very liberal. I have a whole bunch of friends that are very, very conservative. And I love both of those groups. Uh, I, I don't care about their politics. That's not the nature of our relationship. But if you turn politics into... Uh, your religion, like a lot of people have. I think that is it is one of our religions now in the United States, or people treat it that way. I just don't think that's the right way to think about your neighbors and your family and your friends and the people right. that you work with. It's just not it's not worth that. So you get one vote, I get one vote. Yeah. We'll see how it turns out at the end. And the, I, I would say the more that you can stay away from that, uh, because it is so potent. So Anthony, let me let me jump in here. I, I have a thought. I want to learn from you. Uh, so, and I'm just kind of go go here into a, a direction. I, I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure you'll be able to handle this question as, as far as kind of a random question. I talk to people that aren't in, they're they're in a spot where they don't want to be, or somebody that's listening to this podcast is is not where they want to be. Okay, because we all have. Uh, friends, family that we look at. I think about the book, Unf Yourself. I forget the guy's name. It's a great book. And he talks about taking action and doing some things. I think it's a great book. But uh, think about the person that is out there that isn't doing, aren't, they're not happy with their life. They know this. Do you believe in the notion of it has to start with the the image you have to start with the visualization of the person that you want to become to ingrain that. And then you put together the steps of how you can become that person. Tell us about the process yeah, of yeah. somebody. I, I have a, a book I'm going to write sometime in the future uh, called how to become the person that comes after the person that you are right now. And to do that, you have to take another identity. You literally have to just take on that identity and say, this is now what I am. So I'm no longer an angry person. Uh, I'm a person that's grateful more than anything else. I mean, everything, all the adversity for me has all been good for me. Everything turned out great for me. And uh, I think that that's one of the things that you have to do is you do have to say, I'm picking this new identity. And now I'm going to start acting in uh, accordance to what I said I want to be. That's the only way that that happens for us, whatever it is. Everybody's got the potential to be happy, uh, to be more successful, to have better relationships, to have better health, to be able to uh, acquire wealth. Uh, everybody can do that, but you have to give yourself over to it. Uh, and if you're anxious, if you're stressed, if you're unhappy, you have to look at the sources of those. Most of them are internal. There, there are sources that can impact you, like the politics, 
But for the most of us, it's what we do inside here. So it's what we're doing and what we're perceiving uh, everything as uh, if it's negative or if it's stressful for them. Uh, I would tell you a lot of people don't like it when I say this, but I, I will say it anyway. <clears throat> Your average lifespan right now is about 4,000 weeks. That's about it. Uh, some will do a little bit better. Uh, the people that won't do very good right now, the numbers coming down because of suicides and fentanyl. Uh, those are the two big ones that are pulling that number down. If you know that you only have, say, 4,108 weeks and you do the work to figure out how many of those you've actually already used, right, then you're going to say, the time that I have here is uh, incredibly valuable to me and I'm not going to waste it being negative, uh, being unhappy, uh, being uh disappointed, uh, any of those things. So I have it in front of me right now. You can't see it, but uh, if I make it to uh, 2057, I have 1,759 weeks left. Little morbid, right? Like, you know how many weeks you think. Um, but I, I, it makes me appreciate this time that we have because you're not gonna be here forever. But whatever time you have, you should use it to the best of your ability. That's what I believe is true. So if you had the opportunity to to reach out to somebody on this podcast that's not in a good spot, some are going to be on a continuum of, let's say, really bad, and others <laughs> just have a couple of areas they need to clean up. Could be diet, could be their profession, could be the relationship with their uh, girlfriend, better half. Um, what are some baby steps? Because I... You know, I'm I'm a big fan of Atomic Habits, that book, and I'm a big fan of don't just set goals, focus on the process and get granular. Put your shoes out and your workout clothes on the bench in the morning so you stumble over them and you know, hey, it's time to go for a walk, Paul. Can you talk about that? If you if you had somebody that was listening and like, you know, I could that resonates with me. I think sometimes, and I'm not speaking towards you, as as leaders, I think we 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 talk conceptually, but we don't get granular. Here are the steps you need to take to get out of your funk. I don't, I don't write anything um, in a book that doesn't allow you to act on it. So I, I will never write anything that I don't know. So a lot of people ask like, how do you research a book? I, I generally don't. I cited everything in this book because there was so much science that I wanted people to know that it wasn't me just making things up. But here's what I would tell you the first thing that you could do. Marty Seligman is the person that we call the father of positive psychology. There was no positive psychology until Seligman decided that there was going to be a positive psychology. And we could flourish instead of being uh, on pharmaceuticals or psychotherapy or something like that. And what Seligman did one time, he was on the cover of uh, Time Magazine, and he had this um, entrepreneur who built a, a way for them to take a, a very large survey, maybe 3 million people. And what he asked them to do was to write down three things that happened to them that day that was good, 
and why it turned out well for them. And if you do that, according to Seligman's uh, research, if you do that at night, you can't do this. It's not like a gratitude journal in the morning where you're going to keep talking about your wife and your kids and what you're grateful for that way. No, you have to actually pick what went well for you today and you have to write it down in a journal. And if you do that for two weeks, uh, you will no longer be stressed. Uh, you will no longer have the anxiety. And uh, for people who were depressed, uh, for at least six weeks later, they were no longer de depressed. And I think that this is because we have something called the negativity bias, which means our brain is always looking for something that could harm us or something that's not good. And it's constantly um, scanning the environment for those things. And it always shows up. So this is just something that um, scientists study. And if you start thinking about your negativity bias and like if you have something that's going to be difficult for you tomorrow, the closer you get to it, the more negative you get. And it doesn't work the same way on positivity. So here's what happens. If you write down three good things that happen to you a day, and then you write down why it went well for you, probably a person there or something else that went well for you. After about a month or so, open up that, that journal that you're writing this in and start looking back at all of the good things that have happened to you over a 30-day period. And, and you're going to look at it and say, everything's going great for me. Like I, I have good things happening to me every single day. And if you don't do that work and you don't really count those things, then your negativity bias is going to make it a lot harder for you to be a positive person. But if you start stacking up all of these experiences and you start skimming through them, looking back over those things, you're going to have a very different uh, understanding of how your life really is. And uh, that that is, uh, well, I'll just say this about Seligman. Seligman said, uh, this is probably more powerful than any pharmaceutical or psychoanalyst or both. So that's the, from the person who uh, has done the most in this area. Yeah, that's excellent. And I'm, I'm exploring a little bit of the, you know, affirmation, medi you know, meditating. Uh, and it, it's a little bit, uh, I think it was somebody interviewed you talking about the Saturday night live. Uh, I'm good enough. I'm, you know, that, yeah, that, yeah. that, that was funny. I mean, it, it's funny, but it's not funny. I mean, it, it works. I mean, I've seen this in my own life and it, you, you're doing it, Anthony, and you're like, oh, this is cheesy, but you have to do it to, to have that program self, the subconscious mind, you're, you're putting that grid in there. Right. And I've found myself, uh, a few times, like one of my affirmations is stay calm through adversity state, you know, panic is not a strategy. That's one of my, my unless lines, the, and, you know, unless the building's on fire and then, yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. Hell, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the fight or flight that, that God gave us, but I'm talking about just in any business situation. So I found myself pulling from those affirmations. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, the funniest one for me is my uh, editor. Uh, I I put something in the book about me um, telling myself that I have enough time uh, because I'm all I always felt like I don't have enough time. 
In fact, I had a premonition that I was going to die when I was 25. When I was 19, I had that premonition and I thought, I don't know if I'll make it to 25. And uh, I did. And then some. So that's good. But what what I would tell you is I I wrote down like one of my affirmations is I have enough time. And about two weeks later, she called me and said, I keep telling myself that I have more time. And it turns out that I have more time. Like I, I have enough time. And I'm like, I know. But you have to tell yourself that because you're mostly telling yourself, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Guess what? You're, you're going to feel like you don't have enough time if you keep telling your brain that. It's going to believe whatever you're telling it, right? If you tell it, I have plenty of time, it's going to give you that same uh, thing the other direction. So so basically, if you have a negative, uh, and this is a question for you, if, if, if you have these this, this negative self-talk, turn it into a positive, even if you have to fake it till you make it. Is that true? Yeah. You, you, you will convince your brain that you do have plenty of time and you will have plenty of time. Excellent. Paul, do you have anything? Yeah, I just, uh, it's interesting because after I, I listened uh, to, to one of your interviews as well, and I took the three blessings. I have unfortunately a niece that's been just told she has breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I know obviously she's in the stage of anxiety and, and worrying. She has two beautiful young children. And, you know, I told her about the three blessings, you know, writing down those three things. I think, you know, as she's going through chemo and stuff that she does have a great family and, and husband. And, and I think she's got enough to be able to do that and kind of turn that anxiety, turn, you know, turn it around or at least help her uh, through the through the process. Um, the, those things that I have in that book, um, there's a lot of science about the fact of um, if you are positive and you're able to tamp down that negativity and the anxiety and the stress, uh, things will go better for you. So I, I would suggest if uh, you can get her to do that, the three blessings. Um, there's another thing that Seligman did, and I can't find it anymore, but I I can tell, tell you what it was. Uh, there was a person who was very depressed. Uh, it was a woman. And he had her write down um, a letter to a, another person, another woman who was very instrumental in her life. And he had her go sit down with her mentor and read the letter out loud about what that woman meant to her in her life. At the end of it, both of them were crying. And the woman that was depressed has never been depressed again ever after that. Uh, and it's something about our gratitude for the people that do things for us. And uh, it's another thing that I wish I could have found the citation on that, but I wasn't unable to. I've read en enough books that I, I thought I knew what book it was in. I tried two other ones. I just couldn't find that story again. But I know the story still. Great story. So think about the sales world. We have a lot of people that are in sales, marketing, business. Let's 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 look at it from the that perspective. 
whether somebody's new in sales or have they been out there a while, they have a new challenge, they have some things going on. How do you coach? And I know you've done a lot of uh, speaking. What What's some of the, the strategies and I guess call them tips that you give people in the business world that if you overlay this negativity fast and some of the things that we've talked about here, the being grateful, let's, let's shift gears over to the business world and, and let's talk in, in that context for a minute. Most of the time I hear people ask the question, how do you deal with the rejection? And I'm like, why, why do you think you were rejected? Well, because they said no. Yeah, but they didn't say no to you. They said no to the offer that you gave them. They they don't know you enough to reject you. Now, if Paul says, I know Tom well enough to reject him because I know him, then that's one thing, right? Because you actually know the person. Nobody knows us. I mean, when you ask for a, a, a meeting, they don't know you. They're not rejecting you. And uh, when they reject your proposal, it's because they found something that was more in line with what they wanted. So I don't think anybody should be negative over any of these things. But if I had to tell you what I would tell people and what I do tell people, uh, there's two L's. Uh, you can either take a loss or you can take a lesson. If you take the lesson, you'll get better over time. If you think that you lost something, then you're going to have a tougher time in sales. <laughs> That that's just how it goes. Do that's you get? Go young, ahead, Paul. Oh, great advice for young salesmen. Awesome, Anthony. Do you get into the pregame, pre-call? I mean, because my take sometimes is people just aren't <laughs> prepared. I mean, do you get into? Yeah, we get rejected, but in my view, a lot of times it's self-inflicted. Do you get into some of that discussion? I'm, I'm, I've been writing a lot about reading. You know, I started a, a book club called the One Up Book Club uh, to try to get people to read something that they could share with their clients that would give them the insights that would differentiate them from anyone else. Um, what I notice is that we now live in, there's, there's something called the post-literate society because we don't read like we did in the past. Everything is a, a graphic. Uh, it's an audible. Uh, it's a visual. It's a video. And all of those things, all of the things that mostly the young people like the most, like TikTok or something, all of that is passive. So you're not doing the work to understand what you're you're hearing or listening or to or looking at because you're not having to to read each line and make something of it for yourself. So I'm now calling it the post-post literal uh, literate society because the TikTok generation, I don't know like why you want to watch an eight second video. Uh, it's like a, it's like thinking in bumper stickers and bumper stickers can have uh, some wisdom in it, but it's not something that, salespeople should be thinking about. What they should be thinking about is reading, researching, preparing, uh, doing the work on um, BARD or chat GPT to say, uh, what are the 10 biggest 
headwinds in the oil and gas industry and what are the implications for companies in that industry and and knowing something before they show up there instead of showing up as somebody who needs the client to teach them about the industry now i'm going to get some of that anyway but i think they should be doing the work to absolutely have so much confidence that on the work that they did that they know that they're going to do well in that meeting I agree with you 100%. And if, if anybody wants to listen to Bill Clement on Two Old Bulls, he is the poster child for knocking it out of the park, doing the work, showing up prepared. And that's all I'm saying is you're right about uh, rejection. And salespeople, uh, that, that's a part of our world. But self-examination is a big deal, too. Getting better, yeah. knowing post-call post uh, what happened. And I, I think that transparency leads to growth if you can handle it. And I've been there, done that, uh, sit out in the car and, and thought to myself, why did that go the way it did? But there's times, Anthony, and, and we all know this, that it's just timing. The 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 guy or the gal didn't need your pitch. It was nothing yeah, right. had had nothing to do with what you did. So I think there's a discernment there, right? Uh, I was rejected by my girlfriend, uh, Jennifer Doritas, when I was 17, and uh, she knew me well enough to reject me. And uh, she said, uh, you're a loser. Uh, my mom said, you're a loser. My sisters say, you're a loser. That's why I'm breaking up with you. I didn't really need the explanation. <laughs> she wanted to give it to me anyway. That's actual like rejection, right? And uh, so that that's no nobody treats you like that in sales. They might no. say no, but there's like they're they're not going to make anything personal on that. They just no, no. Yeah. I I think I think it's a process. Well, so Paul, do you have anything to add? You get Paul. desensitized though, don't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a confidence you, you, level. You make a uh, hundred cold calls, and you get all those no's, and then at some point, like it doesn't matter anymore, right? <laughs> I'm not sensitive about it. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's something where you have to have a thick skin and 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 realize that it's part of the process. Paul, were you going to say mention something? Oh, just a couple things. One, uh, when he mentioned TikTok and stuff, and it, being part of the baby boomers, right? The art, the the knock on us, where were you watching uh, TV shows where things were solved in thirty minutes, right? And now yeah. TikTok generation, it's even shorter. Then the other thing, and if I can tell this story real quickly, and Tommy, maybe have heard it previous is an old salesman once said to me, he says, you know, I went into a customer. He said, I handed him my business card and he ripped it up. I said, showed him some product samples and he threw them out the window. I said, then he finally took my line card and lit it on fire. And I said, really? He says, yeah, but doesn't mean he didn't like me. <laughs> he didn't like that card. <laughs> so you got to have that positive attitude, especially. Absolutely. Especially in it, it, it'll win everybody over every time. So if, if, if you could help us out, obviously you're well-educated, well-read, written books yourself, blogs, so on and so forth. So let's talk about maybe a couple of different scenarios. The young folks that are getting into sales, uh, maybe in the early stages, what are some, you, you mentioned this post-post society and post-literature. So it's interesting, so the things, how you're framing, and I'm, I'm writing this down is awesome. Uh, what what would you tell that person in terms of 
this is what you need to get you get educated get get this in your head uh put this down as a foundational uh training for yourself what are some some books or things that you could recommend oh i have so many books i could recommend for a young salesperson i mean i i would start with fanatical prospecting uh new sales simplified by uh mike weinberg I'd take my book, uh, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. I think those are are good starts for, for people. Um, what I'm worried about right now is uh, the SDRs who are just getting trapped into this, this role of just being a cold caller. And uh, I wrote a, a pitch for them. I, I've taken um, 10 people who have asked me to help them get a job. And I've given them a script and I've had them call the uh, vice president of sales. Every single one of them has been hired because the vice president of sales never had any uh, salesperson call them and ask them for the meeting when what they're trying to do is hire somebody that would call somebody and ask them for a meeting. So it's kind of a trap. Like once they take that call, how are you going to say, no, I'm not going to hire the only salesperson that called me directly on my phone and asked for a meeting. So I'm 10 for 10 on this. And uh, I posted this and I gave it to uh, a bunch of SDRs telling them not to ruin my uh, 100% so far. I just, uh, I mean, they they have to get out of that SDR. They have to get into something where they're going to have a, a much better experience as a salesperson and you can't become a full cycle salesperson or a consultative salesperson just by making cold calls. You have to have the whole conversation if you want to be a real salesperson. So handing it off to, to me, it sounds like this. Um, uh, I make a date with a woman and I sit down with her. And then I say, uh, I'm sorry, I have to go. I'm going to have my brother uh, sit here with you for the rest of this dinner. Like, why are you handing it off to somebody else? That person should learn how to do that. And I'm I'm afraid that there's going to be a whole bunch of people who's, um, let's say that their development is stunted um, because they only get to do one tiny part of this. So I think they need to get into that, get really good at cold calls, and then go find somebody who will let them make cold calls and still That's... learn to be a salesperson. That's amazing you're bringing this up, and you don't know me, but I've got a family member that is precisely in that situation, and I think the same thing. When I got out of college, I went straight to Shell Oil in New Orleans and had 42 dealers. I was getting after it, but my background's similar to yours. I mean, I was uh, selling cable TV door-to-door -door in college, if you listen to the Two Old Bulls podcast on, on myself. So, I mean, I had that uh, background and I hit the ground running. It wasn't that big of an adjustment getting into sales, but you're, you're spot on. I see this all the time uh, with the, the younger generation. Hey, we're going to put you in this setup marketing prospecting role for three yeah. years. And it's like, are you kidding me? Maybe three months. <clears throat> and so this person I'm talking about, I don't want to mention their name, but they're damn good at it. And I told this person, like, how long are you going to do this? Well, it's a two-year program. And I'm like, okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. If it takes you two years to learn how to make a cold call and hand it off to somebody else, you're wasting your time. I would agree with you. And I, I really love this part of the podcast. I mean, this is going to be for me personally. Uh, and, Paul, you you 
came through a different path with service and turning wrenches and engineering. But from a pure sales standpoint, that's all I've ever done. And I can't relate. Now, in college, I did the co-calling uh, on the cable TV, co-calling, HBO, Cinemax, and all that. It might have been three weeks, and I killed it, and they put me in outside sales knocking on doors. So I don't mind a little bit of that to get your feet wet and get used and comfortable talking to customers. But to sit there and put somebody in a grooved, stunted growth, as you say, I think I, I think it's excellent you bring this up, and I'm glad that I'm not alone on that. Yeah, I I was uh, in a family business, so I was just told if you don't have anybody to interview, you call people and ask them for a meeting, and uh, that that's what I did. And I I started, I never had any training. I got four index cards that told me how to re- make a cold call and the common um, objections, and that's all I had, and it, it all worked out fine for me. When I moved to Los Angeles. Um, my ma- manager said, why are you um, selling? And I th- I said, I'm not selling anything. And they said, well, how do you get all these accounts? And I said, no, I just call people to ask them if I can help them. And some of them say, yeah. And I go out and sit down with them and then they become my clients. And then he said, I want you to cut your hair off and I want you to show up on Monday with a suit because you're an outside sales now. <laughs> That was not what I was trying to do at all. Yeah, everything goes but. back to the hair, doesn't it? I mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's the same with myself. It's all about the hair, right? Yeah. But uh, now, consultative selling, all the stuff you mentioned, I mean, it, it's talked about, it's over-talked about, and, and I mentioned this before. I've talked about this previously. People need to be human beings on this planet in sales yeah. be relational talk to people understand where they're i mean it's not rocket science and so getting back to your book you know what i would say is in tying this back if you're in a bad spot if you're a negative person here's anthony who i think if you look at his record he's very successful he admitted on this podcast that he was a negative person if he can do it you can do it Sometimes we're negative. Let's just say it out loud. I mean, I tell people that are overweight, the first step is just to admit that you're overweight. I mean, it's okay. Uh, The first step is to admit you're a negative person. It's okay. I mean, put a stake in the ground and then do the work to get out of the funk. We have this podcast. Listen to it 10 times in a row. Read Anthony's book. Do what he's saying. And then shame on you if you don't do these things, right? I mean, People that don't do the work then need to get out a mirror and realize, hey, well, this, you know, this, this book is practical, tactical. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's it's not uh, it's got citations in it only because when I uh, studied uh, gratitude, I, I know what gratitude does. But when you see all the claims, it's so many and so diverse. You have to go look and say, what if somebody looks at this and they go like that's too many things. That's what I thought. Like there's way too many things. It, it, it improves your immune system, your cognitive uh, uh, abilities. Uh, you're, you have the less chance of having a heart attack. Uh, every single thing that you can think of, less anxiety, less stress, on less depression, all of these things. And you just say like, how good is gratitude? It really is super. It's a superpower. So yeah, I think that the, if if somebody wants to go get the book, 
everything in there you'll be able to do just after reading the chapter, like lying to yourself. Uh, lying to yourself is just a, a very good strategy. Like the person didn't cut yeah. you off because they're a bad person. They're trying to get home with a prescription for their young child or something. Right. And you can lie to yourself and have the empathy for other people and not have to be triggered by any of those things. So the book, what's if what's the best way to access? I mean, obviously Amazon. Everybody goes to Amazon, but is there? Are yeah, there any... and uh, I don't know when you're going to release this, but between now and the 31st, it's 50 percent off on Amazon. It's going out today on Spotify and Apple. Oh, okay. Well, and... it's at it's 50 percent off all the way to the end of uh, January. Outstanding. I think it's 40 off if you buy it from uh, Barnes and Noble. Very good. So that that, that uh, takes the tension away from folks that are maybe on a budget and have an excuse. Fifty percent off. So I mean, we're talking about. Bucks. Yeah, we're talking. Invest fifteen dollars. Uh, and matter of fact, if somebody's hesitant, just drop me a note uh, at oldbulls at outlook dot com. I'll I'll give you the fifteen dollars because, uh, oh, you know this is this is important. Uh, I I I love this stuff. It's real. It's practical. Uh, we've blown through uh, an hour here, Anthony, and and I can't emphasize enough how much I appreciate you coming on. And the cool thing about this podcast for Paul and I is it's it's, it's digital. It's it's out there. I've met a new person uh, in Anthony, and uh, you got to know Paul and I. I look forward to reaching back out to you. I've got some other things I need to run by you and get some uh, advice uh, in some areas of my life with the I, writing and things. So, um, I, I will. I will just tell you that I hope that your next guest isn't sick, and because <laughs> and, 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 uh, you're starting to stack them up here. Aren't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's. I woke up this morning without my coffee, and I had one of those moments of negativity you talk about. I'm like, man, ugh, is there something going on here? And and then I flipped the switch. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna reach out to Anthony, and then worst case, Paul and I have about 20 things we can talk about, just you know, on sales and marketing and stuff. So. Yeah, I I'm with you there. We've got some cool guests coming up, but I I do appreciate uh, you coming on with us today. So, thanks for listening, folks, to another episode of Two Old Bulls. You can find us on Spotify and Apple. Also, we have email at oldbulls at outlook dot com. We're on LinkedIn as well. So, uh, give us your comments and feedback. And uh, Thanks for another episode, Anthony. Thank you for, for coming in today in a pinch, a pinch hitter. And uh, we do appreciate it. Have a nice day. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll look forward to having another conversation with you about your writing habits. All right. We'll sit tight just a second. Thanks, old bulls, the audience, and have a nice day.